name is DC O'Rourke. Do you have a message for me to pass on to the living? Welcome back, Pear family. I'm DC O'Rourke, and this is Hauntingly Yours, a podcast for the paranormal. Here we are now, together, once again, ready to hear haunting tales from across the world. Episode 4 has landed, and get ready, because all I can say is, we are headed to London, England, baby. Here we go. The next location is how shall I put it? Super interesting. It's beautifully macabre, and it has this peculiar urban legend attached to it. So peculiar, if I may add, that two magicians years ago nearly fought to the death over it. The urban legend of which I speak is that of the Highgate Vampire. This is where I feel like we should cue some creepy music. Within the north of London, you will find the magnificent seven cemeteries. Among them is the one and only Highgate. This place of burial is 37 acres, and it contains over 170,000 people. It's split into western and eastern internments. The list of long-term residents here, it's actually pretty impressive, and some of them provide excitement even in death. Karl Marx, the German philosopher, is buried here, and his gravesite is prone to regular and vicious attacks. Once in the 1960s, someone painted yellow swastikas on his massive granite gravestone, which is topped by a bronze bust of him, with a message that said, Marx is a Nazi lover and adores Adolf Eichmann. Come on, people! The guy was Jewish, and the Nazis were well before his time. In another instance, someone set off a pipe bomb at the gravestone and actually made a failed attempt to cut the head off of the bust. The cut can still be seen to this very day. What is wrong with people? I mean, I feel like I ask myself this question far too often. I digress, though. If we were to look at the northwestern wooded area, 
This is the original form of the cemetery, first opened in 1839 as part of a plan to provide the area with seven large modern cemeteries that would, of course, be called, hold on, wait for it, the Magnificent Seven. <gasps> These would be located around the outside of central London. The graveyards attached to individual churches had long been unable to deal with the amount of burials, and it got to the point where the deceased were being handled with disrespect. Architect and entrepreneur Stephen Geary can actually be thanked for the overall design, in case you were wondering. On May 20th, 1839, Highgate West Cemetery was dedicated to St. James by the Reverend Charles James Blomfield, the Lord Bishop of London. Fifteen acres were consecrated for the use of the Church of England, and two acres were set aside for dissenters. Rights of burial were sold for either limited period or in perpetuity. The first burial was Elizabeth Jackson of Little Windmill Street, Soho, on May 26th. Highgate, like the others in, within the Magnificent Seven, soon became a fashionable place for burials and was much admired and visited. The Victorian attitude toward death and its presentation led to the creation of a wealth of Gothic tombs and buildings. Now, it occupies a spectacular south-facing hillside site, slightly downhill from the top of the hill of Highgate itself, next to Waterloo Park. In 1854, the area to the east of the original area, across Swains Lane, was bought to form the eastern part of the cemetery. Both the cemeteries are still used today for burials, but these areas are closed to the public. Most of the open, unforested area in the East Cemetery still has fairly few graves on it. The cemetery's grounds are full of trees, shrubbery, and wildflowers, most of which have been planted and grown without human influence. The grounds are a haven for a multitude of different birds and small animals. For about two decades, Highgate Cemetery was featured in the media constantly for its so-called association with the paranormal. People young and old alike carried on about it, telling wild and lavish stories. There was and always will be one story that sticks out above the rest, set amidst a creepy gothic cemetery where horror movies are sometimes made. A mysterious gray figure with deep red eyes supposedly lurks about in the darkness, looking for any blood sacrifices that it can get its hands on. Okay, a number of different entities come to my mind. I don't know about you guys. For me, I, I automatically think demon. Yeah, demon. Can't help but think of all the episodes I've seen of Supernatural and Ghost Adventures and things like that. Demon. My next choice would be a jinn. Then there's the one thing some of us might be thinking, but we're not exactly saying out loud. One particular word that starts with a V, perhaps? We'll get to that. Don't you worry. I don't want to jump the gun too terribly quick. 
The very first sightings were recounted by Wiccan magician, paranormal investigator, and president of the Psychic and Occult Society, David Allen Ferrant. The magician claimed that he had interviewed two different people, one of them being an elderly woman who had been out walking her dog, and the other a middle-aged accountant. They both had similar stories about what they had seen in the cemetery. The elderly woman had been apparently walking down Swain's Lane, a road running directly through the cemetery, when she saw a tall, shadowy figure with intense eyes that appeared to be hovering toward her. She felt the air around her turn as cold as ice. As far as the accountant goes, well, he had gotten lost in the vast acreage of the cemetery. A bell started to toll off in the distance repeatedly, and as he stepped closer to it, he thought maybe he could find a way out. The more the bell tolled, well, he became aware of an unknown presence that seemed to lurk behind him. To make matters even more chilling, the temperature had dropped significantly all of a sudden. Eventually not having much of a choice, he turned around to meet his new friend. What he found staring back at him was a freakishly tall figure, dark as the night itself and with a gaze that would make the strongest of men's skin crawl. The entity vanished, not even a few moments later. This intrigued Ferrand enough to the point where he actually spent the night in the cemetery to investigate the matter for himself. He had this to say of his adventure. At first, I, I thought all these stories about spirits were from, from the news. I suspected someone might be lurking around in the cemetery dressed up, or, or it could have been an animal. But around midnight, I caught sight of a figure about seven feet tall that appeared to be floating just above the ground. I, I saw its face in two points of intense red light. The area turned icy cold as if I'd stepped into a refrigerator. The figure seemed to be drawing me of energy and I felt I was losing control of my normal faculties. It felt like a vivid dream, like I wanted to wake up, but it couldn't. Realizing I was under intense psychic attack, I repeated mentally a Kabbalistic incantation used to repel evil forces. It, it disappeared, but I decided the reports were true. Just a few months later, in February of 1970, Ferrant reached out to a local newspaper, the Ham and High, also known as the Hampstead and Highgate Express. He wanted to print a letter for citizens in which he wanted to know if anyone had any experiences with paranormal phenomenon at Highgate Cemetery. Wouldn't you know, a ton of people responded, saying that they had seen and encountered many ghouls in the cemetery, as well as Swain's Lane. Of course, the ghouls came with a wide variety of different descriptions. For example, a tall chap who wore white, a translucent cyclist, an elegant lady in white, a face that grimaced through the bars of the cemetery gates inhumanly, 
a person who waded into the pond and then disappeared among many, many others. Let's not forget the slew of reports that claimed mysterious bells lured unsuspecting travelers into dark corners of the cemetery for no good reason. If you were able to sift through all the nutty responses, eh, you, you, you were able to find at least a few explainable and logical reports. It wasn't too long after that when another man, Sean Manchester, came forward with a similar report of a strange gray man in the Highgate Cemetery. To him, there was no other explanation for all these strange happenings than a vampire. Be sure to keep in mind, David Ferrant in his initial claims never said anything about the entity being a vampire at all whatsoever. Manchester contacted the Hammond High at the tail end of February. Not too long after that, the newspaper wanted to publish an interview with him, and they did. They titled it, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? In this interview, the very bold Manchester put forth his educated guess for not only what, but who the creature was. He went on to suggest that this vampire had been an aristocratic practitioner of black magic in Romania. Upon his death, his followers had his coffin shipped to England, where he was interred on the property that would later become Highgate Cemetery. The vampire's followers were so certain of their master's reawakening that they even bought him an exquisite house in the West End of London. This reawakening came, obviously, but why? What, or better yet, who brought him back? According to Manchester, who had all the answers, it would seem, he claimed it was Satanists. That's right, Satanists. The cemetery had been crawling with Satanists in recent months, and they were coming in, carrying out their various rituals. Police were well aware of this, by the way, and had even seen sacrificed fox carcasses as proof. It was during one of these rituals, though, that the vampire was brought out of his slumber. As a result of Manchester's colorful words, a long line of locals came forward with claims of vampiric activity that had left them traumatized. One innocent schoolgirl, Elizabeth Wajdila, reported that she had spotted the vampire while walking down Swain's Lane one evening. Later on that night, she was unable to sleep due to a torrent of nightmares that she was having. An unseen and evil force made its way into her bedroom. Two very distinct wounds were later discovered on her neck. And later on the next day, she was sent home from school for displaying symptoms of what looked like anemia. Her symptoms had yet to clear up. It became quite alarming. After Manchester heard the story, both he and Elizabeth's boyfriend went to her house and they vampire-proofed her bedroom. They went around and filled it with vials of holy water, uh, cloves of garlic, and crucifixes. Apparently, not too long after that, Manchester claimed the girl's condition improved 
immensely. Now, another young woman named Jacqueline came forward almost immediately after this. Manchester was eager to receive her story, by the way. Jacqueline went on to tell him that just a few nights ago, she had woken abruptly to someone or something cold clutching her hand. After she adjusted her eyes to the darkness of the room, she soon realized nothing was there. When the next morning came, she noticed that there were deep tears in her flesh. She figured this cold-natured entity must have come back after she drifted off to sleep again. The marks were there as proof that she had tried to break free of its deathly grip. After this event had taken place, Jacqueline said that she developed an odd fascination that drew her into the more run-down side of the western end of Highgate Cemetery. It was as if it called out to her. Manchester suspected that this was the area where the young woman must have been infected by the vampire. According to him, after the Highgate vampire became public knowledge, even more people reached out to him with very similar reports. Let's just stop there for a second and ask ourselves some very important questions here. Who the hell was Sean Manchester? Where had he come from? What made him the leading authority on this creature of the night that stalked Highgate Cemetery? Well, as it would turn out, Sean Manchester had quite the colorful resume to talk about. He was a self-professed exorcist, and ironically enough, a vampire hunter. He was also the bishop of the Old Catholic Church. With his almighty skill set, he proudly proclaimed that it would be he that slayed the bloodthirsty beast of Highgate. Do you think Ferent responded to this? Oh, hell yeah, he did. The 24-year-old paranormal investigator hit back, stating that this whole vampire myth had been blown way out of proportion with the unhelpful influence of the media. In his words, this creepy figure was nothing more than just a run-of-the-mill garden ghost. Thus, a feud is born. Oh, joy. In 1970, Sean Manchester published a book appropriately called The Highgate Vampire. Well, it wasn't too long after that that David Ferrant came back with a publication called Beyond the Highgate Vampire. Their hijinks and their overwhelming desire to prove the other wrong about the existence of the vampire began to draw national attention. Everyone watched this ridiculousness unfold and everyone was waiting with bated breath to see what would happen next. Who would win? Was there a vampire? More importantly, were they safe? Were their children safe? The stories about the Highgate vampire increased, and they eventually got so out of control that on Friday, March 13th, 1970, an ITV special report about the cemetery incited an angry mob to take up arms and go hunting for vampires. This was thanks to Mr. Manchester, who, of course, taunted his rival, Ferent, and said he would be going hunting for the beast until it was found. He would do it every night if he had to. 
All too eager hunters lined the gates with pitchforks, knives, and wooden stakes. Whatever they could get their hands on, really. Police got the calls, but by the time they got there, it was too late. They had already breached the walls. One policeman entered the scene. He claimed it was like a scene out of a horror story. All around them were dead corpses that had been ripped from their graves. One had been mangled. Uh, others had been ripped apart with pitchforks. Some had wooden stakes driven through their chests. And a few had been decapitated. Bones were everywhere. One woman's remains were, were pulled from her tomb and burned to a crisp. To a crisp, people. This was only the beginning. Believe it or not, this happened on several other occasions. Several other hunts for this vampire who had been seen allegedly, but somehow always managed to avoid capture. Local police were at their wit's end with all of it. And dis they, they, they knew they had to do something, so they dispatched regular ghost patrols to try and curb the problem. The feud between Manchester and Ferent grew worse with time, unfortunately. As a matter of fact, things went to a whole new level of ridiculousness when two of, the, the, two of these men decided to have a duel and see who was the better magician and investigator, all the while spouting, I'll kill the vampire before you do. Flyers started to appear all over the place, advertising this miraculous event. Come see the magical duel, it said. It was a must-see event and would take place on April 13th, 1973 at Parliament Hill in Hampstead. Crazy rumors circulated that the two men planned on sacrificing an innocent cat in the presence of naked virgins as part of a ritual. As you can probably well imagine, this did not bode well for Mr. Ferrant, who was indeed pagan. As it would turn out, a local man's cat went missing, and it was unfortunately found dead. The RSPCA and local media blasted Ferrant and turned him into a villain of sorts without giving him the chance to defend himself. The duel never happened. Why? Because Ferrant was arrested near Highgate Cemetery for vampire hunting. More specifically, the charges stated damaging gravestones and desecrating the remains of the dead. Police claimed he brandished a large wooden crucifix and a stake at the time of his arrest. That's okay, because when Ferrant got out a little over two years later, he went after the news of the world and sued the pants right off of them for making him look like a cat killer. He also sent voodoo dolls with pins stuck in the head to the head of the RSPCA and others that called for his conviction. Good on him. You know what they say about assuming. It makes an ass out of you and me. Whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty also? I think that's a good question. As far-fetched as this whole story sounds, the feud between these guys lasted until 2019 when David Allen Ferrant passed away. 
Up until that point, Ferent had his own comic book line called The Adventures of Bishop Bonkers with Bishop Bonkers Merchandise, obviously poking fun at his rival, Sean Manchester. What about Mr. Manchester? He wrote several blogs, often referring to Ferent, saying that he had narcissistic personality disorder and created drawings with him depicted as a demon. How adult of them. <sighs> Did either of them finally kill the vampire? Yes, at least we think so. Sean Manchester boasted that he tracked the villainous creature down to a house on Crouch Street where he fought it fiercely until he ended up driving a stake through its chest. Just because he didn't want to take any chances, he burned the remains. Is that where it actually ended? Honestly, the world may never know. Manchester, well, let's just say he was a smooth talker. Supposedly, after all of that nonsense, the cemetery sort of went back to normal. People flocked to visit the graves of some of their favorite poets, statesmen, and philosophers. No one really talked about the Highgate vampire panic as it had been studied and looked at in the news. But if you really sit down and think about it, has anyone really forgotten about it? I don't think you can honestly say yes, because it's an, it's an incredible story. Weird, yes, but it's so interesting that it's bound to stick out in somebody's mind. And believe it or not, there are some who are still convinced that the Highgate Vampire does exist and has existed. Quite a few decades have obviously passed since then. A few different movies, such as Dracula AD 1972 and Taste of Blood, starring Christopher Lee, were shot in Highgate Cemetery and, believe it or not, inspired by these e events. If you ask people today about the Highgate Vampire, I imagine more than likely they will have no bloody idea what you're going on about. That's just the plain and simple truth of it all. If you find the right person, they might tell you that when the darkness settles in across the cemetery at night, they sometimes come across this mysterious gray figure with long fingers, sharp nails, and an appetite for blood. He's very much still there, they'll say. I've seen him with my own two eyes. Believe what you will. That's what I say. My personal opinion is that I feel the so-called vampire of the Highgate Cemetery is honestly nothing more than just a creepy urban legend. Something cooked up by paranormal fanatics. I mean, hey, it happens all the time, all across the world. If there is anything remotely paranormal going on here, I wouldn't say it's a vampire. Just looking at the facts of the case and reading over the various newspaper articles from the time period that covered this panic, you can learn that much. A number of different theories have been put forth over the last 40 years as to what the vampire actually is. It's, it's really quite intriguing. I'd like to actually credit Dave 
Ferenc website for this next bit of information that I'm going to share with you. The entity's tall, dark appearance, coupled with its apparent ability to appear in both a cowled and top-hatted manner, have indicated to some that it may be a shadow person, an interdimensional species of as yet unexplained phenomena, much like the Mothman of West Virginia. The rather flimsy idea that the entity is a graveyard guardian has also been bandied about on online forums, but this explanation is entirely at odds with the modernity of the cemetery versus the antiquity of the site. The psychogeography of Highgate may, however, hold the key to understanding at least some of the entity's nature and motives. The proposal put forward by Ferent actually suggests that the tall dark figure, which has been reported at several other locations in Highgate, such as the Gatehouse Public House in Highgate Wood, could be moving along a ley line that has gathered increasing support in recent years. One easily mappable lay appears to run south to north through the village and beyond from the Circle of Lebanon in Highgate Cemetery, and this is intersected by at least two more which run west to east or vice versa. Now, if this entity is genuinely demonstrating an, an attunement of sorts with these ancient paths of energy, then attempts to pin it down to one period in history may be utterly irrelevant at this point. Indeed, if it is some kind of elemental or early Celtic god form which is triggered by ancestral memories, then there is little hope of ever analyzing it in detail, let alone exercising it or trying to get rid of it altogether. All I can say is this. This is one hell of a story. This is one hell of a story. I can see why people bring this up from time to time and try to dissect the inner workings. Uh, it's It's been covered in seminars and symposiums within the last three years that I'm aware of over in the UK. If you ever get the chance, check out the cemetery for yourself if you're ever in London. It's supposed to be quite lovely. Go take a leisurely stroll. Walk amongst the graves of Karl Marx, George Eliot, countless others. Take some photographs. Admire the landscape. Feed the ducks. Why not? More importantly, keep a watchful eye on your surroundings as it, get dark, as it starts to get dark out. Listen out for hushed footsteps or gray blurs out the corner of your eye. They could very well be the Highgate vampire coming for you. <laughs> and I'm done. Hmm. What will our gracious phantom bard come up with next? I guess you will just have to wait and listen to the next episode. Guys and gals, places aren't the only things that can be haunted. People can. Objects and much more. Keep that in mind. I'm afraid that is all I have for you, though. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, go check out the link tree for the show and follow along on the show's social media pages. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Clubhouse, all that fun stuff. 
The official link for the show is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E backslash hauntingly yours paranormal. Give us a like on Facebook and Instagram and all that fun stuff. And go join our paranormal family in the hauntingly yours paranormal lounge on Facebook where you can learn about anything and everything paranormal and maybe learn a thing or two about your favorite paranormal podcasts in the process. Most importantly, don't forget to review and subscribe. I cannot stress this enough. This really helps other people like yourselves find the show and join our pair family. Thanks guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. New episodes are released every Monday. Until next time, I'm DC O'Rourke. I am and will remain, much like the spirits, hauntingly yours. Thank <laughs> you.